Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Engaging Members and Plan Governance During COVID-19, a panel discussion. This podcast is extradited from a webinar presented live on September 17th, 2020. In this podcast, Renee Marcus-Hoden, the Deputy Director of Community Catalyst Center for Consumer Engagement and Health Innovation, facilitates a discussion with Robin Rohr, Senior Consumer Insight Manager at CareSource, Natalie Wang, Project Manager of Healthcare Services at Scan Health Plan, Monica Gossett, a Community Outreach Manager at UCARE, and Mary Harmon, an Enrollee and Member Advisory Committee member for CareSource. During this discussion, panelists offer strategies and promising practices for engaging members in plan governance during COVID-19. Lastly, the discussion is followed up by a question and answer session facilitated by Alana Noor, a senior consultant with the Lewin Group. During this session, speakers address questions from the audience. Those presentations really provide a perfect launch pad for our next section in which we're going to discuss how each of you have pivoted your work with your um, uh, advisory bodies since March. Um, but before we get started, as I promised earlier, I want to introduce Mary Harmon and welcome her into the conversation. Um, Mary is a resident of Youngstown, Ohio, and is retired from a career in clerical and office work. Um, since she's retiring, she's been doing a lot. She's been volunteering at a senior center, offering her computer skills to help older adults, other older adults, and she has started a small business making jewelry, flower arrangements, and other knickknacks. Um, Mary has both Medicare and Medicaid and is a member of CareSource. CareSource's My Care Ohio plan. And for most importantly for this conversation, she has served on the CareSource Member Advisory Council since 2019. So welcome, Mary. Glad to have you in the conversation. Great. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, I'm going to uh, start off, even though I said I was going to pivot to you know the COVID-19 era, I thought it would be helpful for us to just understand a little bit um, more um, about your uh, methods for gathering member feedback before COVID. Um, so for our health plans, let's get started. And just uh, I wanted to ask you all um, for maybe one challenge you encountered and on the other hand, maybe one strategy that worked well for gathering member feedback from your advisory council, again, pre-COVID-19. So Robin, why don't we start with you, then we'll go to Natalie and then Monica. Sure. Thanks, Renee. So I think uh, as we were developing these councils, our biggest um, challenge revolved around recruiting members and getting sufficient numbers to attend the meetings. Uh, we started out with a lot of different strategies, um, our care managers doing uh, personal invitations, but we found that the invitation net just wasn't quite wide enough to get enough members um, in, in the room for the meeting. So we started casting a wide net by inviting a large random group uh, of members that we mapped by address to be near our meeting location. This also really helped us get a diverse group of members as well, so different ethnicities, um, some members with disabilities. Uh, so we've got a really diverse group by doing that. We also, um, in our invites, instead of doing it in a corporate way on letterhead, we developed some more warm and fuzzy fun invitations um, that looked more inviting. 
uh, it also caught their attention, and uh, I think it let them know that this isn't just a um, kind of a intimidating corporate type environment. Uh, that it was a something that they might want to enjoy um, being a part of. So I think that was really successful. Um, we now have landed on on you know actually having to sometimes. Um, turn away a lot of extra people who are saying, hey, I want to you know, participate too. We are forming new advisory councils to accommodate some of those individuals. Um, we find if the room is too full, if we have 30 people in the room and we're trying to do it in the focus group style, it's just not conducive to getting uh, good feedback from everybody. Um, so doing these uh, virtually, which we'll talk about in a little bit, has also helped us um, kind of cast out our net and be able to include a lot more members as well. Great, thanks. Um, Natalie, same question to you. Sure. So at SCAN, we want to make sure that um, our meetings include members that are representative of our population. And we do have a lot of Spanish-speaking members um, in our membership. So one challenge that we faced was getting Spanish-speaking members to attend our events and to make sure that we provided enough accommodations um, and resources and tools to make sure that they felt included uh, and comfortable in our meetings. So to make sure that we had um, Spanish-speaking members representative, represented, excuse me, we conducted outreach and recruitment in Spanish um, with our member services department. And we basically pulled language preference data from our system to, to identify our outreach population. Um, so then we did outreach in English and Spanish kind of separately. And then once we got members to attend, and they were so happy you know, to have outreach in their language, to, to have all of our forms and documents in their language as well, which was mailed to them. We then held the meeting. Um, we, held, we hold some meetings in both Spanish and English uh, at the same time. So we have English speakers and Spanish speakers in the same room. Um, and for this to all work, we have one bilingual facilitator and then one bilingual staff that's just helping to translate throughout the event. Um, it's important to note, though, that translation does take a lot of time because you're essentially you know, doubling the time of the regular session. So um, to make sure that we weren't going over our time, because our events are already four, four hours long, which is very long, um, what we do is we start the first hour of the meeting as a large group discussion with everybody. So that means we have our bilingual facilitator and bilingual staff um, translating every, every word that's spoken. And then for the next hour or so, we will break out into small focus groups to, talk, to do our activities and other small, um, more focused discussions. And we'll put all the Spanish speakers in the same group um, so that they can completely speak in Spanish. And then we'll have our translator and facilitators um, helping to take notes and document things. And then at the end of the session, uh, for the last hour or so, the full group will come back together to, to review kind of all the feedback that we have received. Wow, that's a really um, involved strategy. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Monica, why don't we turn to you and ask the same question of you about you know, challenges or strategies that uh, worked again before COVID? Yes, so we have faced challenges engaging our, the diverse populations of our duly eligible members at member meetings. We're, we've been having difficulty with our non-English speaking members open up and give us their thoughts and opinions. So we asked a Hmong colleague to attend an advisory committee that we were going to be having for Hmong members. The staff member, um, she identified a gap and she, so we typically, what we would do is we would give members a target gift card for attending as an incentive and then provide a, uh, a snack of fruit and cookies. Our staff member suggested instead we provide a gift card to a more culturally relevant place, a place where these members 
would actually shop. So we arranged with, arranged with a small Hmong grocery store to provide $50 store credit for the members. And then we brought a bag of rice and offered persimmons, which we were told was a special treat for them. By shifting this thought process to consider what our members would appreciate, we immediately noticed a greater openness and a willingness to answer our questions at that meeting. For example, when we asked um, if they used our customer service line before, they would say yes, but really not give us any further information. After we changed how we um, talked, how we brought things to them and how we um, approached them, they opened up and in that meeting they told us they were actually confused by our customer service line questions um, where it would say press one or press two and they would usually hang up and not complete the call. So, so since we have made this change, we have tried it with other groups, especially um, specifically Latino and in our Somali member populations and have, have seen similar improvements. Wow, that is fantastic. Um, thanks for sharing the um, very kind of culturally appropriate um, approaches that you used. Um, I wanted to turn to Mary now. And again, we're still talking about before COVID. Um, and maybe if you can just give us a little bit more information about how you came to be involved um, in the Member Advisory Council at CareSource and a little bit give us a feel for what your experience was, um, again, before the pandemic hit. Uh, yes. Um, I received an invitation in the mail and um, was curious to find out what that was about. Uh, so I answered yes. They sent me an invitation. Um, I attended the meeting, and I found it extremely interesting to be able to um, ask questions about um, the health care that I was receiving and also to hear questions from the other uh, people who were on this um, member's advisory uh, committee, and it helped open up um, more thought process in answering questions and also giving um, experiences that I had. So um, that was my experience before, and it was very helpful. Great. And, and can I assume that you were attending meetings uh, in person before the pandemic hit? Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, every, uh, every three months, um, uh, I would go to the meeting and um, uh, find them very interesting and very helpful. Um, look forward to them. Um, yeah. To uh, not only ask questions that were um, related to me and what I was going through, but also giving uh, information that I found out during those three months to share with them. Also, mm -hmm. as Robin mentioned, they would invite different people to come in uh, to help us understand what their programs were for seniors. So that was also extremely helpful. Wow, thank you. Really appreciate learning what your experience was like. I'm going to uh, shift us now, uh, shift gears over to our current environment, which we've been alluding to um, throughout the presentation so far, and talk about how life has changed with respect to, um, uh, you know, gathering member input. So obviously, so much of our daily lives has changed um, since the onset of the pandemic. And again, I wanted to start with our, our uh, 
representatives from the plans and ask how you have pivoted to stay connected with your current member advisors uh, since March. So why don't we start with Natalie here, and we'll go to Monica next, and then Robin. Hi, so this is Natalie. For SCAN, the advisory committees are structured a little bit differently um, in that we, we get a new batch of members. We recruit for a new batch of members for every single meeting that we hold. Um, and that's every, each meeting, again, is around 20 to 30 members. So we're doing this to make sure that we expand our member reach and get input for more members. Um, so after every single meeting um, on a certain topic, we will come together internally and we'll discuss all the feedback that was received and we'll organize them into um, things that we learn, things that we can actionize, and things that maybe we should um, plan for in the future. And we'll put it together in kind of a nice summary or a paper, and we'll mail it out to all the members who participated and then disperse it within a scan internally as well to the different departments. So we still do this. Um, we still conglomerate all of that information, but we, we do rely on mailing and email now um, to get the word out, back out to members and make sure that um, you know, they're in attendance and that we have the, their correct information. Um, and during COVID-19, the plan is still doing all of these activities and engaging members in the same way. But recruitment and the format of meetings look a little bit different because everything is done either telephonically or via Zoom. Got it. Okay, thanks. I think we'll have an opportunity to dig into that just a little bit further um, in a bit. But um, Monica, why don't we um, get a, a, an overview of how things have shifted at UCARE? Yes. So most of our member committees are the same people at each meeting. Since we switched to the teleconference format, it has been difficult to speak to members informally like we used to before and after the meeting. We miss the personal touch that in-person meeting, in meetings used to provide. I try to contact each person individually by phone or email prior to our meetings, our virtual meetings now, to check in with them for a few minutes, see how they're doing, focus um, some time just on them, and um, get a chance to chat. Before COVID-19, we always provided members with lunch at in-person meetings. So now we send a $10 gift card for a, a restaurant with a personal note inviting them to have lunch on us. Sometimes we also send a small gift or trinket with the materials we are sending out before meetings. For example, this month we're sending UCARE branded face masks to our senior advisory members. Oh, that's super creative. Um, uh, that's great. You know, some of these things are hard to do, uh, you know, to continue doing, um, uh, you know, was we're following physical distancing pro, uh, protocols, but it sounds like you found some really uh, terrific ways to keep it going. Um, Robin, how about at CareSource? Um, let's just get a little overview of how you've made the shift. Sure, similar to Monica, we do have those established groups, as I mentioned before, and we've really created a great bond with them. Um, I think everyone really looks forward to meeting quarterly and getting together, not only um, with the CareSource folks, but um, with the uh, other advisory council members as well. So we were a little bit worried that that would be difficult to continue uh, once we were trying to go for, you know, through a social distancing approach. So we do also, uh, we were really concerned too that uh, the needing, need to be tech savvy um, to still connect was going to be a problem with these members because we do know that a lot of them lack basic computer skills. So we were really worried that we'd lose this connection. However, I'm really happy to say, and I'll talk uh, a little bit more about it later, 
but we were able to um, pull these meetings off virtually very successfully. I think we really haven't skipped a beat. It's been a fantastic way for members to gain some, uh, even some new skills that they may not have had and being able to connect virtually with even not so much just us and the other council members, but also with friends and family as well. Um, also, between the meetings, uh, we do make phone calls and send emails to each of the council members about three weeks prior to the quarterly meetings. So we do this to check in with them, to make sure things are going okay for them, and to also ensure that they're aware of and have what they need prior to the next meeting. And so we found the last two quarters when we've done this, these virtually, uh, we really haven't missed a beat, and we've really uh, been able to maintain that close bond with these groups and get the same amount of feedback that we were in person. So we're very pleased with that. Oh, wow, that's great. Thank you, um, uh, Robin. I appreciate that. And, you know, not missing a beat is, is somewhat um, the topic of our next uh, discussion, which is just digging in a little further. It sounds like the shift to virtual engagement has been fairly smooth um, uh, for you and, and potentially for others. But I think we know it's not necessarily the case for everyone, um, especially members who have limited resources um, or if they're older adults um, who um, may or may not have the same level of experience um, with the technology or even those who don't have reliable internet access. And so I'm hoping we can just dig down a little bit further and talk about some of the challenges you've encountered since pivoting to, um, you know, these online platforms and then how you overcame them. Um, why don't we start with Monica here? Well, we've definitely found out that it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. Different people have different comfort levels with technology and are working with different technology. Some people have phones, some people have computers, some people have iPads. Um, some of our older adult advisory groups are not comfortable connecting with video. Um, we encourage them to, but we, so we offer a practice session for members who are less comfortable and unfamiliar, but still want to try the virtual format. So a day before the meeting, we have a practice session. Members can call in, get connected. They can get any necessary troubleshooting help that they need. Not all our members are comfortable even with this option, so we have now send out all our handouts and all our materials in paper form before each meeting. So the members who are calling in still have everything in front of them. We've also provided tablets to some of our lower income members to, for their use during COVID so they can connect remotely. We again um, work with these members to get up to speed on how to use the tablet. I mean, it's a challenging time and we still wanna connect. So we have to you know, change the way we are looking at doing things and making sure that they're getting all the information they can from our presentations and meetings. Great, thanks Monica. It sounds like um, uh, you know, preparation and, um, and uh, backup and training and even in, in some cases providing the actual technology. Um, so lots of different ways to overcome challenges. Um, Robin, let's return to you. You said not missing a beat, but I assume it wasn't just, you know, magically happening that you took some uh, steps to make that happen. Sure, it was it was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of extra effort. But similar to you, Care, we did have concerns about making sure that those members who are less comfortable with technology could still be able to attend and engage in the meeting. So we did leverage a, a Zoom platform. So while you know a lot of the members we were hoping would would join video by video, and most of them actually are, 
we did want to make sure that those members who still weren't comfortable with joining via smartphone or computer would be able to engage. So we do allow them to join via phone only as well. And similar to Monica, we do send, if we're going to be reviewing uh, materials, which we'll be doing for Q3, we're sending those ahead of time with our reminder invitations to make sure that they will also be able to participate equally um, as those who are on video. The other thing that we did, and I will, uh, Renee will be able to share this with all the participants as well, is we developed a, um, a very comprehensive step-by-step -step instruction packet to help those members feel more comfortable with accessing the virtual meeting. So we developed something that had screenshots of exactly what they'd be seeing um, for all the different options. If they were joining via phone only, if they were joining via a tablet or smartphone, or if they were joining via a laptop or PC. So we had each of those three options, and it really did help um, make sure that those members were able to connect. We had very few problems with members connecting actually. The one thing we did also do is we had a troubleshooter um, on the line who was available. So if someone who had RSVP to the meeting had not joined in the first few minutes, that troubleshooter outreached to that member and helped them connect. So I think every meeting we'd have one or two people that did need that extra, extra help uh, connecting. So I, I highly recommend doing that as well um, to make sure that all the members who would want to come are able to successfully connect. I'll pass to Natalie. Thank you. So SCAN is a Medicare Advantage plan, so most of our membership are seniors, 65 and older. Um, and so we had to keep this in mind for our going to um, an internet platform or Zoom, um, particularly to hold our member advisory committees. And so we typically in our in-person meetings have around 25 people, members in attendance, um, but we decided that that would just be too many for um, us to be able to use a Zoom effectively and, and be able to troubleshoot um, the issues that the participants are having while they're online. Um, so we decided to hold multiple smaller meetings um, in lieu of one large meeting uh, where each meeting has about three to five members instead. So this way we, ha we also have our troubleshooter um, similar to what, what the others were saying on the line so that we can help troubleshoot those three to five members at the beginning of the meeting. And um, in order to reach our, our previous participation numbers, we're holding around five smaller sessions uh, rather than the one four-hour session. So in order to participate in the Zoom meetings, members do have to have um, internet access or cellular data, and they have to have a smartphone, computer, or tablet, or anything that can basically access the application. Um, we're still in the testing phases, so we just held our advisory committee via Zoom and we didn't have any issues, but um, we're also testing other ways to connect with members, and especially for those members who maybe do not have in, um, access to reliable internet or a tablet or an iPad or a smartphone at that. And so we are also doing one-on-one -on -one telephonic interviews with members. So that means they just have to have um, a phone or a way to get on the line. And what we'll do is we'll have only two um, scan staff on the other on the other end of the line, so one note taker and one facilitator, and we'll just do a really deep dive uh, interview on the topic at hand. Wow, that's a big that's a big pivot um, to you know these individual uh, conversations. So um, I appreciate hearing about all of the things that you all have done. Um, uh, just going back to you know what Robin said before about some of their um, uh, the plans that they put together to get their members um, uh, comfortable 
uh, accessing the <laughs> Just getting a little bit of feedback there. Um, so uh, we will, I just wanted to note that, uh, as Robin mentioned, we will be providing uh, access to that um, template set of instructions that uh, CareSource put together. I know it was, it was very helpful to folks in our community of practice, um, and I think it will be helpful to participants on this call as well. That will become available. Um, but I did want to just you know, test out with Mary um, about how uh, the shift to virtual engagement has gone for you. Well, for me, it was um, extremely smooth. I am very familiar with uh, computers. I'm not an IT person, but I am um, very familiar. Plus, as Robin mentioned, the information that they sent to get into Zoom and be a part of the meeting is very clear, very, very easy. Also, um, I am a person who I am not afraid to ask for directions and information and walk me through it to make sure I'm doing it correctly. So I did that. There was always someone available, very knowledgeable, very kind, very patient. So again, for me, it was very smooth to uh, make the transition from um, you know, face-to-face -face meetings to doing the virtual engagement. Um, that's Yes. That's that's great. You mentioned the step-by-step -step instructions that Robin had talked about earlier. You said that they yeah. were helpful. What what about them made them helpful? I just think well, it's, it's worth diving into like the details here. Um, it's a small booklet. That's what I that's how I look at it. It uh -huh. is page by page, step by step, not only um, words but also visual. So they have pictures to show you what the screen should look like. Oh, that does sound really useful. And I would imagine, yeah. given your background in, um, you know, it, it, that you've been helping uh, older adults at the senior center, that that might be sort of a familiar approach to you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. Visual, as you know, um, is important. Um, everybody is not able to just follow directions um, in Word. But when you have that visual aid there, it is definitely helpful. Absolutely. You know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks so much for uh, your feedback on that. Um, I wanted to, to shift gears uh, one last time um, before we open it up for questions um, to see uh, we've talked about you know how it's gone, what you've done, all the creati uh, cre creativity you've put into making this work. Um, and I guess I would say, you know, none of us would have ever wished uh, for the pandemic uh, to have happened. But I am curious to hear from each of you um, about whether there have been any opportunities that have opened up um, because of the shift to physical distancing um, pro protocols. Um, and whether there's been any, you know, positive impact on your member engagement and plan uh, governance. So again, why don't we here? We'll start with Robin, then maybe to Monica, then to Natalie, um, and then we'll give you, Mary, the uh, the final word. Robin. Yeah. Thanks, Renee. 
I do feel that it is opening the door for us to be able to connect, especially with some of our newer plans who have you know, not quite as many members in them, especially in those rural areas where there might be uh, not a very dense uh, pocket of members around and a specific meeting location to do in person. So it really does open the door for easily connecting with those members who might be in those more rural areas. The other thing that it allowed us to do in our last two quarters is uh, add some long-term members who are part of our institutional population. So in the past, it was difficult for them to, to get to those in-person meetings, but we were able to add a couple long-term care members to each of our councils in each of the three regions this last time, and it was great. Uh, they had some really great perspective from their side, uh, from an institutional side, so that was definitely one of a, a, a perk out of the whole thing uh, about having to go virtually. The other thing that I did notice is some of the members who tend to be a little bit more introverted and less likely to speak up at the in-person meetings did seem to participate a little bit more. We, we do the feedback uh, kind of in a round robin, and they did seem to have a little bit more confidence in speaking up and taking their turn, and I think they could kind of formulate their thoughts uh, ahead of time while everybody else was uh, weighing in as well. So it did engage those more introverted members a little bit more readily. And I do want to also add, though, we want to ensure that those members who are a little bit more introverted aren't feeling pushed too far outside their comfort zone. Um, so I think there's a fine balance between, you know, calling all those members when we feel that they're comfortable in sharing, but also giving them the stage that they may not have as readily stepped forward to in person. So, Monica? Hmm. Yes, I would, I would echo what Robin <laughs> is very – her um, – her answers are very similar to us too. Location we have is not an issue right now. So we have the opportunity and the potential to reach out to um, members across the state to participate in these um, committees because they were in person and in Minneapolis, that was difficult for them in the past. Now they're online and it opens up a lot more opportunities for them to attend and for us to en engage more members. For some of our members, um, Transportation was an issue, even though we offered the transportation reimbursement. The virtual option has resulted in greater buy-in from members because they can, um, like Robin said, participate even though they may have been more uncomfortable in person, but being in their home in a um, situation where they are comfortable, they are more willing to get engaged and it takes some of the fear out of it for them because they're not having to do it in person. At the same time, you know, we still have to find ways to connect with all those members too, at this, um, because it's easier to do sometimes connect in person when they're sitting across from you. But virtually, um, we work really hard to make sure we try to hear from everyone. Thanks, Monica. Um, Natalie, any thoughts about you know new opportunities, perhaps? Yeah, I definitely echo um, what Monica and Robin have said about. Uh, expanding our reach to rural areas and, and being able to shift to virtual meetings to accommodate more people. Um, one thing that I think another opportunity that arose for SCAN uh, is because we are doing those one-on-one -on -one interviews, we are doing sessions that are only three to five members, um, we are finding that we are getting to go much deeper and dive, uh, we are able to dive much deeper into our members' experiences um, their suggestions, their thoughts around healthcare, around their providers, around the plan, uh, and we're getting a lot more um, rich information and context from our members in that sense. Uh, it, it's true, though, it does take more 
resources to hold these kind of more one-on-one -on -one, um, experiences because it takes more staffing, a lot more planning, um, more time in general. And so um, while this approach has allowed us to really learn more per member, um, we do have to take into account that it takes more resources. So we've been trying to um, have a balancing act between the two. But I definitely say an opportunity that has arisen has been the amount of information that members are willing to share when they feel comfortable and when they feel like the plan is, has 100% of their attention on the member. Thanks. As I said, Mary, you get the final word. So what has, has been kind of the silver lining, if there has been one, um, for you during this period? Well, um, it has been a, even though this is a tragic, tragedy, tragic reason for us being virtual, it has been a help for me. I had an accident during this time, someone hit me and left. And I had everything on my insurance except for hit and skip. So I don't have a car right now. Okay. And I did get hurt. So it's uh, mm. difficult for me to get on the bus. Mm -hmm. So by this being virtual, I, am, I don't have to worry about trying to get a ride to the meetings. I'm able to, you know, um, participate in each quarterly meeting, which I'm, I'm grateful. I hate, you know, that we're in this pandemic. But on the other hand, because of this pandemic, um, I am able to, again, you know, be able to um, participate in all the meetings. So that, that really touched my heart for the people who were struggling to get to the meetings, having, you know, to have caregivers bring them or get rides with other people. It made me more mindful of, you know, how blessed I was before, you know, having my car and just being able to get it mm -hmm. in, get in and, and mm -hmm. come and go. <clears throat> Wow, I'm so, so so sorry to hear about the um, accident, um, but but it's a really um, poignant thing to realize that you can still participate in these meetings. Yes, 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 yes. I wanted mm. to add that um, I noticed that, um, as Robin had mentioned, that a lot of the people who uh, participated in the meeting, not everybody... Um, is very vocal. Some people just are quiet. But mm -hmm. during these meetings now, in the comfort comfort of their own homes, uh, whether they're um, in the Zoom meeting face to face or they're on their phones, a lot of a lot of people are participating more. They're speaking out, asking questions, or addressing concerns. So I think that that's very interesting. I wanted to make sure I brought that up. Wow, that's a very interesting observation, you know, coming from you as well. Um, I feel like we could have um, uh, called this webinar, you know, Making Lemonade, um, based on the conversation we just had. It's not easy, of course, um, to deal with uh, what we're dealing with, but it sounds like, you know, the experience of the plans here and the experience of, um, you know, Mary, uh, you know, taking advantage of what the plans have put together has been um, both interesting um, and, and, um, and, and positive in a lot of ways. And I really wanted to just lift up how uh, uh, you know, important it is, as you guys have said, for, um, for plan representatives to just spend the time to check in with people 
um, because everyone's going through a lot right now, and I think it means a lot in terms of, you know, building that bond, as uh, someone said earlier, and maintaining that bond um, just uh, to check in how people are doing because um, it is tough. So I just wanted to thank you all for the conversation. Um, it was so terrific to hear from all of you. Um, we're going to shift gears now, and instead of me asking the questions, um, we're going to take questions from our, our participants, and I know that they've been coming in throughout. So I'm going to turn the program back over to Alana, who's going to moderate that section. Alana? Great. Thank you so much, Renee. And thank you, Monica, Robin, Natalie, and Mary for sharing all of your insights. Um, we do have a few minutes for questions from the audience, so thank you to everyone who has already submitted questions, either through the Q&A feature or when you registered. Um, if you have additional questions, you can submit them using the Q&A feature on the lower left of the presentation screen. Uh, you can type your comment at the bottom and press Submit to send it. I will start then with some of the questions we've received so far. Um, Mary, I'll start with you. Um, I'm really glad to hear, I'm very sorry to hear about your accident. I'm really glad to hear that you have been able to continue to attend virtual meetings with the CareSource Member Advisory Council, and it sounds like things are mostly going well. Um, as other plans are thinking about how they can shift to virtual councils or how they can do that well, um, do you have any recommendations for other plans? Well, I did hear um, um, the person speaking before you say that Robin will be sending um, the information on how they send out um, pre-meeting um, directions. So that is a big deal. I'm, I promise you um, whoever receives those will be very pleased, very pleased at how they set it up to walk, walk everybody through to be able to get in um, to the virtual uh, engagement. So that, I think that will be helpful. Thank you so much, Mary. Yeah, we're very glad and very grateful to Robin and CareSource for sharing that. That is available, and we sent it out in the chat. It's also on the uh, webinar page where everyone went to register, so you have that as a resource, um, and, and so glad to be able to share that. I'm really glad, Mary, that that's been helpful for you, and um, especially all those visuals. Those are, those are really helpful. Yes. All right. Um, I'm going to turn to a question about recruitment. So if this goes to Robin, Natalie, and Monica for all of you to answer, um, if you have recruited new members during COVID, um, how have you handled orientation or onboarding to your advisory committee? Um, and Natalie, maybe I'll start with you as I know you have been bringing new folks on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. So um, we have been recruiting a few batches of members and um, what we're doing is we are sending all onboarding information via email and then also via mail. So we do have a new member orientation packet that we send out to members. Um, and this just includes you know, what our expectations of them are, how to be a good listener, how to participate, um, what kinds of things might be discussed, et cetera. And um, we still we modified it a bit to make sure that it, you know, it, it still encompasses the virtual format. Uh, and then we mail that out to members um, but then also just to make sure that they, they show up and that they are aware of when their session time is, um, because now we have multiple sessions. We do send out um, multiple emails to them, just reminding them of um, when their session date is, um, letting them know that if they'd like to reschedule, they can do that. And then um, a few days before their session, we email them the Zoom link. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, Robin, maybe I'll go to you next. 
Sure. I think in addition to sending them the materials that they need, uh, we do do outreaches uh, via phone to those members just to consult with them a little bit, um, have some conversations um, a, a little bit more informally. We have not added the same number of members. Um, as I mentioned, we only added a few uh, long-term care members to our recent council. So it was easier to do more personal outreaches to them, um, consult with them, talk with them individually a little bit about what to expect, um, how to be a good participant, and um, also, you know, how to connect. Um, and also, um, you know, again, those skill sets for being a good uh, member advisory council participant. Great, thank you, Robin. And Monica, if you've recruited new members, um, how have you handled orientation or onboarding? Um, we, I'm actually just right in the middle of that right now. And what we're doing is the um, same as Natalie and Robin, sending out all the materials in paper form. But then we, um, I am meeting with them one-on-one -on -one in a Zoom Zoom type call so that they can see who I am, I can see who they are, and we can get I get a little chance to get to know them a little bit before the meeting. I can run um, run through how our meetings usually go, talk about the um, people who will be attending, um, and just tell them some um, uh, of some other agenda topics we've had in the past and how we've used what we've learned there to change so that they. So when they come in for the first time, they feel a little bit more comfortable with what's going to happen, and they kind of know how the agenda is going to go, and this is what um, this is how it, the meeting runs. So that's what we're doing. Great, thank you, uh, Natalie. A question for you. So you are doing something a little bit more unique with these one-on-one -on -one interviews um, that Scant Health Plans doing. Um, do you have any tips or recommendations for other plans who might be interested in trying a similar approach? Yeah. So I, I mean, definitely, one hundred percent. Um, you should find a way to record the call and, and go through compliance and all of that to make sure you have the right disclosures to say at the beginning of the call. But um, what we do is we have two or three scan um, staff people on the line as well, and but we're only having one person, one scan person, um, scan staff person, excuse me, facilitate the event and ask the questions so that people aren't talking over each other because there's no video. So telephonically, um, it can get very messy if you have more than two people speaking at one time. Um, and then the other people on the line are note takers or um, are looking things up if the member has specific questions, things like that. Uh, and then another thing that we decided to do, um, and we, we normally do this for our regular events, is have um, an agenda with all the activities and, and for the telephonic interview portion. Um, we decided to just have a bunch of different discussion questions uh, and then kind of offshoot questions from the larger general topics um, so that we can guide the conversation and kind of make it natural. But then we ensure that, um, that the facilitators know that they can go off script if the member is going into an area that maybe we hadn't thought of. Um, so then my tip for all the other health plans out there is to just make sure when you're creating your discussion guides and you're training your facilitators to make sure that they're using, you know, sixth or fifth grade level um, or lower language um, just so that you have smooth communication with your members and, and you're not um, being intimidating to them. Great. Thank you, Natalie. Um, so for Robin, Natalie, or Monica, um, have any of your plans conducted any types of evaluation or surveys um, to learn about members' experiences? Um, and if so, what have you learned? Hi, this is Monica. 
Um, I didn't do a survey, but I did connect via email with our members after the meeting to see how the meeting went for them. Did they have any hiccups? Did they under, you know, how did it go? And from there, we did find out that we needed to send all, copies of all the presentations, all the handouts. Um, we couldn't just have it online because some of our members were having trouble like being on their phone and pulling up the presentations. So they preferred overwhelmingly to have me mail out hard copies of everything. And that way, if they were not comfortable or if they couldn't find something on their on the, um, computer or if they were just calling in, they had everything in front of them and could follow the meeting more closely. And this is Robin. I can I can also echo. We haven't necessarily done um, any official surveys with the members. We do save time at the meetings, especially at the end. We allow at least a 15-minute session to talk about, hey, what would you like to be discussing at these meetings? What do you want to have on the agenda for upcoming meetings? Uh, just to make sure that they're getting uh, their voices heard in terms of what types of topics want to be uh, covered at these meetings. So we're trying to be very responsive and make sure that the members are benefiting from these meetings as well as CareSource. And the other thing that we found is you know, truly demonstrating that we're using their feedback and making a difference within that organization and taking action, I think it's been the biggest satisfier with the members. Um, each meeting we start off by saying what we've done with the feedback at the previous meeting, and a lot of times we're able to you know, show them whether it's um, member communication materials that we've developed based on their feedback, and uh, I think the, the best, most rewarding part is when they see it going to all members um, in the mail or something online or a new uh, collateral that's being uh, put out to all members that was generated based on their feedback. Uh, I think that's a, a truly satisfying moment, and I think that's something that really creates a lot of satisfaction with participating in the advisory councils. So I think demonstrating that you're using their feedback is really one of those secret sauce to success. And this is Natalie. So uh, pre-COVID, we did do um, a paper survey for all members who were attending um, every single meeting at the very end. We would give them a survey and ask questions about um, satisfaction with the meeting, what aspects of the meeting they liked most. So um, for us, because we are still testing out different formats, and we asked them if they liked the scan engagement, so the amount of scan staff in there and talking with them, the open discussion format, um, the breakout session or focus group styles, the, the activities, et cetera, so that we can get a taste of the types of things that kept them engaged. Um, and then we asked them what they didn't like about the event and um, also asking about their likeliness to attend one of our meetings in the future so that we know if they didn't like the event and they don't want to return, then we would leave them off of the outreach list for the following sessions in the next years. Um, and then the last question we always ask is, um, do you feel like your feedback is valued at SCAN? Um, and that's one of the ones we consistently ask on every one of our surveys um, because at the end of the day, that's, we're, we're hoping to show um, with our actions that there, our member feedback is truly valuable to us. Thank you, Natalie, and, and, and all of you. Um, one last question then, kind of piggybacking off of that and showing that importance. So COVID-19 has kept planned staff and leadership very busy, um, lots of competing priorities. How have you been able to keep momentum around using member input and feedback going? Um, so Robin, Natalie, Monica, any of you can start. Um, 
Uh, this is Monica. I think in some cases, member feedback is even more important right now because we're all, this is a new situation for all of us. And so more than ever, we need to hear how this is affecting our members and how is it affecting um, things that maybe we're, we thought we had settled or organized or were running well, but how is it easy for them to get their prescriptions now? How are they doing getting to their doctors? You know, um, so many, there's so many, so many questions. It's, it's kind of like a whole new world and we need their help to help us navigate it and to provide the best service for them. So more than ever, we are depending on our member advisory committees at this time. Yeah, this is Robin. I'll echo that. I think one of the, the biggest opportunities is really having those conversations about what barriers are they facing now that they're in a COVID-19 environment. So I think, you know, as much as we can try to predict as a plan, um, you know, some of the things that the members might be facing and uh, how we can best support them, I think the best thing we've been able to do is really directly ask them what kind of barriers are they finding, you know, how is CareSource doing at addressing some of those barriers and uh, opening up some of those insights to what additionally can we be providing in terms of support to the members. This is Natalie. I agree with um, Monica and Robin there um, wholeheartedly. And also, I think a way to make sure that the focus is still on advisory committees while everyone in your organization is, is scrambling on um, other competing priorities is partnering with other departments um, to put on advisory committees and topics that um, concern other departments. And, and maybe those departments are working on initiatives and programs that are in the making that are missing the member voice. Um, and, and really reaching the leaders of those departments and incorporating them and collaborating with them to put on event, an, an event um, that benefits everybody. This is Mary. I wanted to add something. Um, one of the meetings that we had, one of the members, she was taking care of or assisting taking care of her parents who have COVID-19. So it's not just what the member is going through personally, but it's also life goes on and all the things around you. So I think that, you know, reaching out just to, just to have someone to talk to is important. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.